Welcome to the Indie Comics section. Join us as we take you through the pages of some of the best stories and art available in comics. We'll talk to creators, hear about their inspiration and creative process, and then we'll read their comic and discuss it together. We hope you'll join us on this journey into some incredible comics and find some new favorites along the way. Hello and welcome to another episode of Indie Comics. My name is Sylvia. And I am Jeff. Dave Tigerman Smith. And you're listening to our latest episode where we are here with the amazing Frank Gogol uh, talking about his new comic called No Heroine. Uh, no Heroine is asking the question what would happen if Buffy the Vampire Slayer was a recovering drug addict, essentially. And I am so excited to. Uh, talk with you frank about this comic and what inspired it and and who you are but i i would love for you to take a minute for those people who may not know who you are would you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us what you're about a little bit sure uh frank gogol i am i am just starting to get used to the idea of calling myself a comic book writer you know you get a little little that uh uh, oh God, what's the word? I'm gonna, I'm, I'm losing it. I'm losing it already. Well, what are we? Two minutes into this? It's all um, right. <laughs> Imposter syndrome, perhaps. Imposter syndrome. Thank God you're here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm happy um, to help. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, but uh, I've had a, a few books come out. Uh, I had a book come out in 2018 called Grief, uh, which was nominated for a Ringo Award last year. That's kind of like uh, like the Golden Globes of comics. Not quite the Oscars, but not you know not not nothing. Um, and then last year I also had Dead End Kids come out, which was sort of like this crazy zeitgeist indie hit that I did not expect it to be, um, and sort of opened all these doors for me. I was able to marvel a couple of things because of it, like and. Um, all this I started I wrote my first comic script like less than four years ago. So like it's all been happening pretty fast. Um and I've got a new book coming uh the summer in June or starting in June called No Heroin, which is what if Buffy was a, a drug addict. <laughs> um <laughs> but uh that's that's me. Yeah. Well, awesome. How did you get into comics? You said you wrote your first script about four years ago. Were you a comic reader before then? And you know, were you heavily influenced and what got you into this particular world? I get this question a lot, and it is a way longer answer than than most people anticipate. So I'll try to do the Cliff Notes version. That's fine. Um, I I am a lifelong comic book reader. Um, I got into comics as like a very young kid, maybe maybe four or five, maybe six at the latest. It's hard to put a, a, a time on it. Um, uh, but uh, I, growing up, I had like a pretty rough childhood. Uh, both my parents were drug addicts. My father died of an overdose. When I was about a year and a half old. Mm. Uh, my mom remarried another drug addict. Um, it was it was my whole childhood was a mess. Um, and comics were sort of my escapism. I, I'd sort of store away in my bedroom with like Superman and Batman and kind of sort of escape for a while. Um, but uh, I didn't connect with the books in a way that like I wanted to. Like there weren't books where I could see the kinds of things I was going through or that I saw in my everyday life. Mm -hmm. um, Batman's a billionaire. Superman's literally the perfect person. Like it just, there was a certain disconnect um, that just, you know, didn't resonate with me the same way I wanted it to. Um, so I, when I, I decided at some point when I was in high school that I wanted to be a writer, not necessarily a a comic book writer. Um, I, I'm a big Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan, which I think is fairly evident because of the book. <laughs> uh, but uh, at, so at one point I thought maybe I wanted to write TV. I definitely wanted to write Buffy. Um, 
I, I wanted to be a novelist at one point. I have a master's degree in poetry. Uh, but I settled on comics just because they hold like this incredibly special place in my heart because they were sort of, you know, my, my, my safety blanket as a kid. Um, and then, uh, I didn't start writing comics until about four years ago. I'm 32. I've been out of college out, out of my, um, second master's program for about nine years now. Um, so like I, I got a late start, like on this thing that I was very passionate about, uh, had a lot of false starts, didn't really get a lot of traction. Um, but like things changed, uh, about four years ago, I was at a really good job making really good money, um, for a software company. Uh, and like, I just wasn't, just wasn't fulfilled. Like I wasn't unhappy. Like the job was fine. Like I liked my coworkers. I just, but it just wasn't what I wanted to be doing. And my, then girlfriend who is now my wife um we were sitting at dinner one night and she's just like what's wrong and and i told her i just don't know not fulfilled and she said well what do you what do you want to be doing and i thought for a while and like i kind of gave like a half-hearted answer like because like it felt like a pipe dream to say that loud and i said you know i want to i want to write comics i love comics so i love writing and like that's what i want to be doing and like by the end of that conversation she had said well if this is what you want to do what would it take to do it? And I, you know, sort of listed it out for her. I was like, well, I'd, I'd really have to like learn the craft and I'd have to go to cons and network and travel and like, you know, learn, learn how to do all of this. There's no manual for it. Like it's, it's like very hard to break in. Like very few people get to do this professionally. Um, and essentially she said, well, look, quit, quit your job. We'll, we'll make it work. Um, and take it one year, take 365 days and figure out what you need to do, get your shit together and, and make this work. Okay. And hang on. I just need to pause and say, Frank Google's <laughs> wife, you are wonderful. You she, are she spousal goals. Incredible. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's an amazing response. And it's so wonderful that you had that kind of support right from the beginning. It, it is. And honestly, like it was instrumental to like I, I don't want to call myself a success like i think that's like a, it's pretty arrogant but like there are people who would say that i've had a lot of success in a short amount of time um and and if that is true the reason for that is because i felt like i was being given this tremendous incredible once in a lifetime opportunity and i needed to make the most of it um so on day one i sat down at my computer from nine to five like it was a real job i got up in the morning i you know took lunch breaks i treated it like a job and a lot of days i went past five o'clock i worked on weekends i i took classes i traveled to cons to to, to network i yeah it's just i i just like when when you get an opportunity like that like doing anything less than 110 percent is is disrespectful to the person who helped make it possible and i, I just i was just so grateful and you know that 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 is in the rear view at this point. Like I, I work a full time job again, and and I'm at a job I like quite a bit, and I'm doing comics. And Catherine is now my wife, um, but I still it's still ingrained in me that like I need to to make the most of this, or else none of that was worth it. Now, in the case of no heroin, I mean, you kind of alluded to it already, but what were some some of the main inspirations that went into the making of this particular comic? Uh, I mean, yeah, there's, there's like this old show, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I, I don't know if anyone's ever heard of it. Uh, <laughs> kind, of, kind of an old show, I think. But I, but and I, an even I, older movie, I think. Yeah. 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 1992, I think. Yeah. I think. So, <laughs> almost, geez, 30 years ago. Holy wow. shit. Um, 
But uh, I, I, I found Buffy when it was on airing originally. I was in fourth grade in 1997, um, mm-hmm. or maybe, maybe I was in third grade. Uh, I was eight or nine years old, and I was way too young to be watching Buffy. But I was, I was, <laughs> I was positively captivated by Sarah Michelle Gellar as, as a young young boy. Um, and, and, but the storytelling, like – I, I didn't have like the the education or knowledge to, to to be understanding why it was so well done and, and well crafted, but like I just as as a nine and ten year old like I inherently knew that I was watching something special, and like to this day it remains my favorite television show of all time. I have I'm looking right in front of me. I have a, a, a shelf of DVDs in my office. There are three DVD sets on it: Star Trek for my wife, Buffy for me, and. Uh, so the art, uh, the alchemy of art by David Mack, which is a documentary about David Mack, um, who's my one of my favorite artists. Um, but so I mean, it's it's pretty special to me. Um, and and at some point inside of my whole life, at some somewhere, I said I would like to write some Buffy one day. And like only a handful of people get to write Buffy. Um, yeah. The people in the writers room when the show was on, the the person who's writing the comic book at any given time, like maybe a few other people. Um, and at some point, I just said, I just I'll do my own version. Like, um, uh, and and that was always an idea in the back of my mind. Like, I have lots of ideas, um, but the thing that sort of tips me over into telling a story is having a compelling reason to tell the story. Um, and for me, um, wanting to shine a light on on addiction and on specifically on like the recovery part of addiction that is almost entirely overlooked in pop culture, um, was was the thing I was able to wrap my my vampire monster hunter story up in to tell a story that I felt only I could tell in in a way that I could tell it. Yeah, absolutely. I love that you're using a medium that you love so much and a show that you love so much to tell such an important story for you because that that this is kind of the culmination of the full picture of of uh of you you know what you love and you know what you some of the high points in your life were and stories that influenced you and and the lows as well i think that that's a really beautiful thing to have come together um what do you love most about this comic what do you what do you love most about uh the story the art all of it what went into it god we're gonna need a few hours here yeah. you might want to make, make some popcorn um <laughs> no but re- seriously though um i mean there's 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 so many things to love i mean i one of the things that makes me tell a story is that i fall in love with it um like there, i like i said i have a lot of stories but i've only made a few comics and that's because like there's not anything about the ideas that I haven't written that like feels compelling and real to me. I, I love that the story is honest in a way that I think not enough stories are Um, like it's, it's very easy to either make excuses for people with addiction problems and, and sort of may, you know, say, well, it's not them, it's the drugs, but it's also really easy to demonize these people. Um, and like my sort of up close and personal firsthand experience, knowing lots of addicts in my life, my parents, many of my family members and friends have struggled with this and even died from it. Um, it's, it's never as black and white as that. It's, it's extremely gray. And, and to tell a story about Kayla, our, our main character, who is honestly a piece of shit, like she's a bad person who is doing the right thing in this story, but for the wrong reasons and, and coming to terms with knowing that 
realizing that she's this kind of person like that that to me feels more honest there's um there's a book it's called uh speaker for the dead it's the sequel to ender's game yeah and and i'll just give like a brief synopsis of it but essentially it picks up with ender some years after the events of ender's game and he's living with this tremendous guilt from something i won't ruin ender's game for anyone um but uh he travels the galaxy sort of giving eulogies for people as the speaker for the dead and and people call him to to eulogize and what he does is he sort of does like a, a pi private investigator type of thing and he like looks into the lives of these people who've died and like uncovers their secrets all the good deeds they've done all the terrible things they've done and he gives a eulogy for these people um but it's not this very romantic like rose-colored lenses type eulogy you get at most funerals where bad people are made out to be better than they were and good people are made out to be better than they were it's it's the it's the honest to god truth this person did x y and z that was good and a b and c that was terrible and that's who he was and make your own judgments about that person and that's just like a, a sensibility that i like to to bring to my stories because it's so easy to say this or that in life and it's never ever really that easy i think people who have been through the hardest parts of life can kind of understand that even 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 when things are really really tough there's still something that you can find that's good and vice versa even in the best of things there's sometimes things that uh, uh can can color our experience and it really is just what you take from it and how you move forward yeah, ex- exactly. Like it's it's like it's just it's just not that simple. Like everything is layered. There there are people. No, nobody is. Well, very few people are evil, and very few people are are like these pristine, perfect people. But it's it's the uh, it's all the stuff in between that really sort of tells you who a person is and like how they react to stuff when things aren't good or when they're too good. Um, you also asked um, sort of like what my favorite part of the book is. And it's honestly, there, there's a few quiet moments in there. And that's something I don't think enough comics in particular take a lot of time to, to, to dwell on. There's a scene where Kayla's reacting to, to finding out what happened to her friend. And she's sort of sitting up a wall in a, against the wall in an alley and sort of just reminiscing about some, some stuff that had happened and like, internally monologuing about it and like it's it's a quiet moment and then there's this the scene in a church which i think is probably my favorite scene i've ever written um and it's just like there's this is an action book like for sure um it's probably the most action-laden thing i've ever written um but it still takes time to like breathe um and i think that for me that's just such a such a good reading and creating experience now, Frank, you're an amazing storyteller, and you're also alumni of Comics Experience, and you studied under some amazing people. How was that experience? Uh, dope. Like, just to <laughs> put it, I mean, it was awesome. Like, I, um, yeah, I got involved with Comics Experience back in 2016. So it was about it was four years ago, like this week and the several weeks prior to this, that I was in my first class there. I've taken five or six classes now. Um, I studied under Andy Schmidt in my first class who, uh, he was an editor at Marvel and IDW. He's the guy who sort of launched transformers at IDW. He was the editor on annihilation at, um, Marvel and, uh, winter soldier when it was in cap, like, oh God, almost 20 years ago now. Um, so this guy who knows his shit 
Um, I've studied under Paul Aller, who's doing the G.I. Joe comic at IDW now. He's in a lot of Ninja Turtles, done some Power Rangers. I'm honestly, super jealous of his his track record for the books he's been able to get on. I love and hate Paul for that. Um, I've I've taken classes with Fred Van Lente, um, who needs no introduction from like me. Uh, just just the tremendous amount of talent that I've been able to just pick the brains of and connect with and 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 build relationships with. I mean, like comics experience is is an incredible resource. I think I said this already, but there's no manual for how to have a comics career. But comics experience provides the the, the closest damn thing I've ever been able to find. And like I sound like a commercial, but I genuinely mean that this is like an invaluable resource to anyone who wants to make any kind of comic anyway. This kind of alludes to something you mentioned earlier because you said you meant you had that uh, thing of David Mack right there. But um, what I want to hear is uh, who are, who do you count among your literary and or artistic influences? Ooh, that that is that is tough. Um, Another four I or think... five hours, probably. <laughs> Maybe specifically for this comic, would that narrow yeah. it down? Okay, yeah. I mean, in, ter- in terms of my personal storytelling, I think the two people who have affected me the most deeply are or three people are Stanley, especially like specifically like the earlier spider-man run um just something about the the dynamic of peter parker and spider-man and you know responsibility having to to be the the end all and be all of his life and like it affect like just you know it's aunt may's birthday and and he's got a a dinner date with her and he's the only person who's going out with her and dr octopus robs a fucking bank and you know he has to miss dinner with aunt may and he did the right thing but it doesn't you know it's it's, it's sort of a Pyrrhic victory, right? Like he wins and loses. Um, and like, that's very much the kind of thing that's, that's in a lot of the Buffy storytelling. Like I always think of the end of Buffy season two, um, spoilers for a show that was on 22 years ago now. Um, but, but you know, Buffy's boyfriend, Angel turns evil midway through season two and he's the big bad. And, uh, to save the world, essentially she has to kill him. Um, and at the very last second, he sort of gets his soul back and like, doesn't remember doing anything. And it's a tragic moment because she still has to kill him. Um, even though she got back what she wanted, like she wins to save the day, but she loses like on a personal level like that, that kind of storytelling I think is like the best kind of storytelling. Um, and then in terms of like more modern stuff, I really, really, um, gravitate to Rick Remender and his storytelling because he does a lot of that and he does a lot of introspective stuff like love deadly class because it, it really is a deep dive into character and, and fear agent, uh, you know, was that 10 years ago now? Um, uh, I like a lot of Jonathan Hickman stuff too, like for different reasons, like he's, he's a really good structuralist and he's got these big grand ideas and it's a kind of storytelling that I wish that I could do more of and do better. And like, I strive to be like, um, but I'd say those are those are probably the four main ones. I mean, I love Shakespeare and, and Dickens, and like I sound like a literary snob, but like you know, I've, I I have two master's degrees in creative writing and an undergraduate degree in, in English literature, and so like, I, I, I'm really well read, and I appreciate a lot of different kinds of literature as a result. Well, don't feel too bad about that. I, I've gone through so much media in my life as a film major, and one of my favorite uh, writers still to this day is Wordsworth. So, you know, <laughs> we've, all, we've all got people that we resonate uh, a lot with and, and whose stories are meaningful to us. It doesn't matter when they were born or what, you know, time period they come from. Um, what means the most to you? uh about your work and i and what um what kind of realization has 
you know, making this comic and, and getting this experience had for you in terms of your life, you know, on the other side of that career change and, and, you know, now that you're actually doing it, what's that like for you? I mean, in, in a word, like if I had to boil it down to one thing, I'd say, I'd say money. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh, God. That was anyone, beautiful comedic timing. Thank you for that. Anyone listening to this who wants to make comics and thinks there's money in comics, just, just turn around and walk out the door. You're going to lose more money than you're going to make, and it's going to be by a huge margin. Um, I was I reading do, about that on your site. I was looking at that whole section you mentioned. I'm like, yeah, this is really informative stuff. Yeah, well, I wrote that one. It was pretty bitter, actually. I was on a plane. This is gonna. I was on a plane back from Paris when I wrote that, so I, I, had, nothing, I, I had nothing to be bitter about. But it was like cold, it was cold, and it was winter. I'm not a big winter person, um, and I was. It was the end of the trip, so it was like, oh. But uh, I'm, I'm I'm gonna revise that blog one day and like with with a softer touch. But it, I mean, it. I think I titled it "Jagged Little Pills," right, or something like that, or that's whatever. Um, but the, the, uh, I think what's most important for me, it's, it's not the money. Um, I don't, I don't honestly, I give away my books all the time. Like I don't really, I, I want people to read the stories and I would, I hope that they'll resonate with people. Um, my first book grief was a, a short story collection about the five stages of the grieving process, um, told through like monster and alien and crime stories. Uh, and, and honestly, like, it's just, it's the, like I mentioned Superman and Batman and like, I, I said I didn't connect with those books and it was at a time in my life where I could have used a book where I could see people struggling with things and, 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 and dealing with them and getting through them and, and, and something with like a little hope to it. Um, and that's really what like grief was for me. Like I, I wrote that book to be the book I wish I had, like when I was six and seven and eight and, and 10, 15 years old. Um, and even now as an adult, like you know, writing that book four years ago was, was pretty cathartic in a lot of ways. Um, and I can't count anymore the number of times, like I'll go to a convention, I'll sell, you know, 20 or 30 copies over the course of the weekend. And like by Wednesday, inevitably I'll have one or two Instagram DMs or Twitter DMs or emails you know, from somebody who bought the book and said, I love the story. You know, this really spoke to me. Uh, I struggled with this, that, and the other thing. And like, thank you so much for writing this. And like, I, again, imposter syndrome, like people tell me my stuff's good. And I'm like, eh, is it though? Is it? <laughs> um, but when, but when enough people tell you that it is like, eventually you got to start believing them. And, and, and that's what I want. I want to write books that mean something to somebody. And I, I was listening to the interview with uh, Dinesh. Uh, oh, I got to forget his last name. The guy who, one of the guys who helped reboot Ballot Valiant and is doing Bad Idea now. Um, he was talking about like sort of their business model. And he said, we don't want to make books that a lot of people like. We want to make books that a few people love. And and I think that that is, is a pretty good way to, to sum up how I feel about it. Like if I write a book and one person reads it and it makes them feel anything better or, you know, open or like, like they're, they're seen or understood, like that's better than selling a thousand copies to me. I hope I sell a thousand copies and I hope a thousand people feel that. But like at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's about telling good stories for people to connect with. Like, and that, that sounds like pretty idealistic and a little woo woo and like whatever. That's, that's who I am. <laughs> Now, your books are amazing. That's coming from me, but Agreed. not everyone has the the best reviews of them. Uh, what's the worst review you ever had? I've actually, I've actually gotten one bad review. Really? Yeah. Only one. I mean, that I know. <laughs> if, if you guys found some that I didn't know about, I would love to see them because I think that 
bad reviews are great. Um, but uh, the worst review I ever got was for the third issue of Dead End Kids. Um, this is the last issue. Uh, and let me preface this by saying that like the first two issues at one point both had like perfect 10 uh, average reviews. And like that slowly trickled down over time. But I think they're still in the high eights and nines. Um, and and issue three was up in the, about the same range. Um, and about a month after the issue came out, um, a guy who had given the first two issues perfect tens gave it a four out of ten for the third issue. And like the thesis of his his critique was that the book wasn't long enough and that he didn't want it to be over. And that's why the last issue was bad, because it was over. Um, and to my knowledge, that's that's the worst review I've ever gotten, which is sort of sort of a positive review in a weird way. Um, I got a I got a buddy, David Pepos, who has a book called uh, Spencer and Locke over at Action Lab. And yeah, we interviewed called- him as well. Loved him. Actually, he was I great. I think he's actually the one who told me to to reach out to you guys. Oh, fabulous! Um, but 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 David got a, a review one time that compared one of the issues of Spencer and Locke to I, I'll paraphrase it, but essentially kindergarten Alan Moore. And <laughs> the, the, the reviewer must have thought that that was like a, such a savage burn. But he and I were talking. I was like, that's that's praise. Like that. Like I'll take kindergarten Alan Moore any day of the week. If if I could write as well as Alan Moore did in kindergarten, like it's amazing. Amazing. I would love to hear some Alan Moore stuff from kindergarten. Like, like I'm fascinated by that. I, I want to read his papers, man. <laughs> I, I, I I can't even like it's like Tortoise and the Hare, but by Alan Moore. It's just dark eighties <laughs> uh, British politics. I I don't know. I don't know. So you've you've expressed a lot of passion for storytelling in this interview. I just kind of want to know when you. When you have those moments where it's just not coming, it's not flowing, there's a block, what do you do to to get over that? And how do you how do you sort of work your way through uh, the bones of a story so you can flesh it out and make it real? So I'm a bad person to ask this question because I don't have writer's block. Um, that's okay. not to say I don't struggle putting stories together, but like – the way I create, like I just, I just keep putting out and ref- and refining and turning things around and like until it sort of reveals itself, like for lack of a better way to put it. Um, so like there's there's never a time where I'm sta- staring at like a blank screen. Like I'll just I'll just start writing. Um, and and my process, like I try to do things very fast at first to get like a baseline. So like when I have an idea, like I, I generally plot it out very quickly. Like I, I set myself time limits. Like you know today I'm going to finish writing out the plot for issue one, tomorrow two. Um, in terms and like when it comes to scripting, like I just try to bang out the first draft like as fast as possible. Um, and like part of that has to do with like I. My, my work background, um, I work for a startup in San Francisco. Uh, it's a financial technology company that does loans for immigrants um, and sort of other underserved communities who struggle to access credit. Um, and, and working at a startup is like a real startup is like very, very fast paced. And like like sometimes, you know, 70% good is good enough. Like not, things don't, don't have to be perfect. They just have to get out. And like you can always go back and, and, and tweak it later and and um like i've taken a lot of that into my my personal sort of like the business side of comics and 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 my creative process um so when i write like i just i just try to get it out especially on the first draft because honestly like when you take down the walls and you just kind of put stuff out there in a raw way without thinking about it too much you at least me i tend to get better stuff than if i sit there and like i try to like 
struggle through it and like make it perfect the first time. I'd rather take something at 70% good and work with it later than spend three times as much time getting something that's 80% good on the first try. Like it's just it, the, the math of it doesn't work out in terms of time management. Um, but uh, I don't know, like there, there are other things I do too. Like I walk to work every day. No, I live about three miles from my job, but it's sort of a straight shot walk down Market Street here in San Francisco. Um, so I, I listen to a lot of music and like just kind of like mull things over in the back of my mind and like have sort of like little story epiphanies all the time. And like, you know, it's 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 kind of like just a long thought process. And then like when, when it's gestated and like it's ready to go down, I just put it down. Um I don't know if that answers the question. You <laughs> like sometimes I just yeah. ramble. No, I think I think you answer the question perfectly. I actually really like the sentiment that it's best to just bang out something uh, first. Uh, so I work as a writer, uh, you know, in my day job, and one of the things that I have come to realize is that writing is 10% writing and 90% editing. You've just got to get something on the page first and then you can work with it. It's like you got to put clay on the wheel before you can make a pot. And sometimes... That's the same metaphor I use. Really? (laughs) Uh, Almost, almost. I I talk about making statues, right? Or like sculptures, right? Yeah. You mold the clay and give it shape and then you go in with the water and the tools and and then you you put in the details. But like you got to get the skeleton first. Exactly. And the refining process is... is the majority of where a writer can can truly kind of shine because once you once you get like a structure of like what you want to say then then you can do the more finesse work of how you want to say it and and i think that that's i yeah i'm i'm glad we're on the same page with that that's fun um and same page is that a writing (laughs) uh uh, oh now we're just now we're just getting that was punny that was was, (laughs) i I take that back edit that out Or or don't. That's the editor's choice, producer. (laughs) Oh, thumbs down. Um, Okay, well, what should we be looking forward from you in the near future? Uh, Well, uh, the aforementioned no heroin. Uh, If you like vampires or Buffy or monster stories or my writing or hate my writing and just want to give me some of your money, uh, no heroin's coming out over the summer. Uh, starting in June. Uh, a little further down the line, this isn't like officially, officially announced, but it's definitely happening. It's on the schedule and like it's it's mostly done at this point. Uh, Dead End Kids 2 is coming out starting in November. Um, that'll run through the winter. Uh, a little bit beyond that, I can't give two specifics. Um, I've got a book that um, the high level pitch is sort of like, what if the Xenomorph from Alien got loose in the Power Rangers Megazord? Uh, um, excuse th- me, I need to read this. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, an aside here, um, uh, when we work conventions, uh, at source point press, we, uh, some, some shows are like a drag, like, like San Diego comic-con is absolutely the worst show to work. It's great to attend. It's terrible to work. It's thankless. It's exhausting. And, but we play this game sometimes where we just sort of pitch stupid ideas to, to just to pass the time, make each other laugh and like, yeah not go insane and and that was a pitch that i came up with two two san diegos ago and like it never unstuck from my mind like i'm a big power rangers fan like i'm living in a renaissance right now with like hasbro and and, and boom doing what they're doing like it's, it's a good time to be frank um i love alien alien's one of my favorite movies of all time and i'm like i love mashing things up i love and i found like a good way to it's not that story that the pitch is, but it is very much the spiritual successor of that story told the way I would tell a story. It's it's so good, and I can't wait to start 
actually like talking about it. Um, I have one other book, uh, that's, uh, that's a good way to put this like silence of the lambs meets taken with like a splash of superpowers and like body horror. That one, that one, that's, I'm going to have to refine that a bit, but, um, uh, Ahmed Rafit, who is the cover artist on uh, No Heroin, and I are are sort of developing that pitch, uh, and it, I'm super excited about it. Uh, my next few books are very much about my fear of being a parent. <laughs> um, so ah, it's is that coming for you? Well, you know, I got married uh, in September, uh, and and um, I'm actually older than uh, my parent, older than my dad was when he died at this point, and like just the last few years, I've been thinking of. Of like, you know, what kind of parent would I be? I, I grew up essentially without like any kind of normal parentage with half the number of parents a lot of people have. Um, and like, it's, I'm very interested in knowing what that experience is going to be like, given like my life circumstances. Will I be good at it? Will I be better at it for for what I've gone through? Um, and those are some of the ideas that are kind of seeping into um, the the power rangers alien book which is called afterbirth i guess i can tell you guys it's called afterbirth um and then uh, the other book is called black fractal and and like there's a th- i'm also writing dead end kids three preemptively um and that's that's sort of working its way into there too so like i don't know i'm, I'm giving you guys a lot of a lot of exclusive that's material all right. here. i love this i love this great i'm sure tyler is very happy to have a lot of exclusive details from, yeah. From you. Um, so no release dates on anything past Dead End Kids too, though. Um, that's fine. No so. big deal. Um, where when uh, when No More Heroin is released, where can we pick it up? Uh, so the pre-order system for comics sucks, but here, here's how. Here's the the skinny. Books come out in previews. Um, they're in previews for two months, and then they on the third month they come out in comic shops. During those first two months, people need to go pre-order the book if they want it. You might get lucky and go into a store and find like a copy of Spider-Man if you didn't pre-order it. But with indie books, you, you you won't. Like it's just the way it works. Like they get ordered in small numbers because they're high risk for retailers. So if you ever hear about an indie book that you think sounds interesting, go pre-order it support the creators support your retailers make sure you can get a copy no heroin will be in the april edition of previews uh so about a month from today that catalog comes out we're at the end of February right now um and it'll be available to pre-order all of april and uh like the first 28 days of may so like it's a pretty small window um uh, and then the first issue will come out in june the, the series is three issues uh they're oversized issues by a few pages um I like to keep my miniseries short uh, just because prior to Dead End Kids, I was a relative unknown. I'm a little more known now, but generally a lot of people are taking a gamble when they buy my books. Um, and I like to make sure that they're not spending a ton of money to do that. Um, a six-issue miniseries costs 24 bucks. Yeah, I'm only asking for 12 um, I'm making the, the issues bigger than they need to be. Um, I made the publisher keep them at the $4 price point because I want to make sure people are getting value. Um so that'll run all summer, uh, and then Dead and Kids will be out in the fall or early winter, maybe I guess. Uh, and yeah, like I don't know. Like I said, uh, it's it's super important to the entire ecosystem of comics, you know, from the distributor to the retailer to the publisher to the writer to the reader, that people participate in the pre-order system. So if you're listening to this and you like Buffy, you like you know, vampires, monster hunter stories, you like punk rock, you like strong female characters. I, at least I hope she comes off that way. I'm bad. I'm not the person who gets to decide that. Um, 
Uh, but I hope that, you know, I've, I've done all my, my the women in my life proud. Uh, if, if you, if you don't like my stories, but you just want to give me money anyway, like just go pre-order the book. Uh, it, I, I think it's really good. I think everything I've written so far. And um, I think it's, it talks about some stuff that needs more attention. Yeah. I think, I think everybody can agree that, you know, story is one of the best ways we can connect with, with people and, and ideas that we may not ourselves have exposure to. And so I think that that's really important work that you're doing. Well, Frank, no, it, it was sorry. such a pleasure. No, you're fine. Frank, it was such a pleasure to talk to you today. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Check out our other podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and all podcast apps. Check out our site, thegrandgeekgathering.com, for our articles, other shows, and more. You can find the details for how to pick up No More Heroin, as well as other comics by Frank, in our article that you can find online. You can stay updated from our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for all things geeky. And our outro music is delivered by Cranston. Thank you very much, Cranston. So come and join the gathering. Everyone have a great week. And GGG!